Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. Praise God. So nice to be with you. And uh, thanks to Steve and Janet for hosting us so well. It's been delightful to see them again. Uh, before I preach, I, th- I felt like this morning the Lord woke me and uh, He said He wants to do something in the church, and so I'm, um, I'm, I exist for His good pleasure. And so we're going to do what He wants. Um, I was in the church in uh, Canada, and the Lord said to me, there was a, there was a businessman, and the Lord said, um, uh, I sh- He showed me a picture of his thumbs, and he's, he had two business partners, which I didn't know, but the Lord showed me. He's got two business partners, and they're trying to put their thumbs on top of him. And the Lord said, tell him, no one is going to subject him to tribute. He's always going to be on the top. I'll always cause him to rise to the top. So I thought, that's a pretty good word. And when Michelle was prophesying and I was sitting there, I was thinking, man, that's a pretty good word. And the Lord said, oh, by the way, it's not just for him, it's for the whole church. So I said, oh, that's nice. And then the Lord said, just to, to demonstrate a spiritual truth in a physical reality, I'm going to heal people who, who have uh, sore thumbs. Now, I have this brain that gets in the way. You, you know that feeling. And your brain starts to go, but how many people in this room could have a problem with their thumbs? And so while I'm asking that question, the Lord says to me, six. So I go, okay. So my turn comes and I go, hey, this is the word to this guy and this is the word to the church. And by the way, if you have pain in your thumbs, why don't you stand up? And so six people stand up. And we pray. And this lady who has got carpal tunnel, and she cannot, she's got in braces. She gets instantly healed. And everybody gets healed in the meeting because the Lord's trying to confirm a word to the church through a physical demonstration. Do you understand this? That's why Paul said, many of you are weak and sick and you're dying because you're not recognizing the body of Christ. If you don't recognize and love and, and create harmony in the body of Christ, some of you are dying. He said, this, is, this doesn't need to be. Hello? Okay. So sometimes the Lord wants to demonstrate in a physical reality a spiritual truth. Have we got that? So I was, in, um, we were, I was in a church in Ohio and we were preaching there and the Lord said to me, um, I want to bring alignment here into this church. And I said, that's very cool. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heal people with broken toes that haven't healed. And there's only about 60 people in the room. And there was a leaders meeting. And I said, how many people could have broken toes? And they all told me a number. And they stood. And, and uh, one of them was a senior pastor's wife. And she got instantly healed right in the front row. Her, her toe, the pain disappeared. She was running up and down. I was in a church, it doesn't matter where it was, but, uh, but the Lord said, I'm bringing clarity in the theology of this church, and so I'm going to heal people who got missed in their minds, uh, you know, learning dif- disabilities, uh, voices, and this lady uh, came up to me in the evening service, she, she said, we stood, and my brother has seizures, he has about 100 seizures a day, and since we stood up this morning, he hasn't had a seizure again, and she said, I had voices in my head, and they've gone quiet since we prayed. So, I've, um, so the reason I'm telling you these stories is because I just want to build your faith a little because the Holy Spirit's about to do something in this room. Is that okay? You guys don't mind if the Holy Spirit just wants to do something. So I'm just telling you stories just, cause, just so that your faith can, can fluff, up, fluff up a little. It's okay? I was in Pretoria and the Lord said... Uh, I'm bringing a different clarity of vision to this church and I'm going to heal eyes where people's eyesight has suddenly gone bad. I'm going to heal their eyes. 
And so we had people stand, and this lady who had cysts on her eyes, and she'd been to the doctor, and he said, we don't know what's going on. We're going to have to operate. And she was instantly healed in the meeting. or just touched her eyes. She went back to the guy, and he goes, I, yeah, I don't know. Come back to me in a year, but you, you're fine. The reason I'm telling you stories is because I feel like I just want to stir your faith a little bit, because this is what I feel like the Lord is saying to your church. You ready? Yeah. I woke this morning, and I saw the Holy Spirit. He spoke to me about an additive God wants to add what is lacking in lives. He wants to add, and so that when he mixes together what exists and what he's added, it creates a much stronger bond than used to exist. And I saw there were some places where people have almost given up because you've tried and tried, and every time you try, it gets worse and worse. And I felt like the Lord wants to come this morning to add things to lives. So no matter what, it's got very little to do with what I'm actually preaching about, but I feel like the Lord's going to move among this uh, congregation this morning and just drop some things that are missing into your life. So you just need to be ready to receive that. But in order to demonstrate that, I feel like the Lord wants to physically demonstrate with a provision of some creative miracles. I feel like the Lord wants to drop into some people's lives things that have been taken out of them. Spleen, um, stuff. I feel like the Lord is going to build back what has been taken out. So if you have a sickness in, or disease in your body or a, an illness where something has been removed from you and, and you want the Lord to restore it. Now I know this is not a healing. I know this is a creative miracle. I understand. It's okay. The Lord is not nervous about this. Do you understand? He's not, oh, I don't know how I'm going to do that one. So, um, and that includes, I think, it includes some finances. It includes any physical ailment in your body where you used to be, there used to be something and it's been taken from you, the Lord wants to add it back. So if you'd stand up, please, I'd love to pray with you. <coughs> yes, finances as well. Why don't you pass that water? Thank you. All right. Now, here's the beauty of this. This is not hard. This does not come. God doesn't like man sweat on his sacrifices. You know this. You know that God said to the priest to wear linen because I don't want you to sweat while you're bringing sacrifice. Sometimes we think it's by more sweat that impresses God. But God accepted Abel's sacrifice because it was blood sacrifice and Cain's sacrifice, which came by man's sweat. He said, no, I don't like that one. God doesn't like man's sweat on his sacrifice. So you don't need to be. You just need to say, Lord, I believe you. It's as easy as that. Easy as that. Jesus, it really is as easy as that. It's as simply as easy as that. So Lord, I really invite you right now, and I thank you, Holy Spirit, to drop in additives, what is lacking. Anything physical that's been removed, Lord, I release it, I release it back. I release the stirring and the fire of God. I thank you, Lord, that they're going to feel the fire of God throughout the service, Lord. You're going to be walking around, restoring to people, giving back to them. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. I release it. I release it. I release it. I release the provisions of God. I release the angels to bring multiple provisions of God. Supernatural healing. Here it comes. Watch. Watch, watch, watch. Ooh, that's fun. And, Lord, I thank you for supernatural provision. Not just a little, Lord. Not just a, not just a little. I pray for an overflow. I pray for more than they need. I pray for that they'd be embarrassed at the overflow. 
I thank you, Father, that now, from this day onwards, a new day starts in this church. There is an abundance, an overflow. Let, let their name be known in the community as the overflow church, the abundant church, the provided for people. So, Father, I release it to them in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. Why don't you take your seats? The Father is the kindest person you'll ever meet. You found that out? I have a sermon entitled The The Secrets of the Psalmist. I'm hoping to inspire you all to write a psalm by the end of this time. And I uh, think it's going to be a fun time for you. Um, The scripture says in 1 Chronicles 16, 7, uh, when uh, Solomon had built a temple, David came and he gave them, uh, David came and he gave them uh, a psalm. And he said, uh, this is what I want. So let me read this to you, 1 Chronicles 16, 7. That day, David first appointed Asaph and his associates to give praise to the Lord in this manner. So David then gave them this psalm, and it was a didactic psalm. It was an instructional psalm, and that psalm was made up of various places. Verse 1 is taken from verse 23 in portions of Psalm 105. Verse 23 is from... Psalm 96, verse 34 is from Psalm 136, verse 35 is from Psalm 106. So David went out and plundered basically the rest of his psalms, and he added them together, and he put them together as an instructional psalm, and he gave them to the people who were appointed to lead worship in the tabernacle, and he said, I want you to praise the Lord in this manner, in this way. And part of that uh, Part of that psalm, part of that instructional way on how you should praise God was this piece where he said, ascribe to God. And you find that in Psalm 29 and you find it in Psalm 96 and it was in the psalm that David gave that instructed people on the manner in which you should approach God. Ascribe to the Lord, you mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. David said, listen, you need to learn the spiritual discipline of ascribing to God what is due to his name. You have to learn to ascribe, not just out of your mouth, but in your own heart and in your own mind, God is good. God is kind. I don't know if this is going to work. Can I have a... This is not sticking with me. Unless you've got some tape to stick this down, because I'm... I can feel that I'm going to be too violent for this microphone. (laughs) That's good. Thanks. Yeah, that that was going to get old quickly. Okay, so now here's the point. David said you you have to learn this discipline. It's a spiritual discipline of ascribing to God the goodness that that you know him to be. Because what is going to happen in your life like guarantee it and the scriptures guarantee it is that you're going to hit a bump in the road a testing of your faith a hardship of life and then when you get into the hardship of life uh, you're going to find out what you actually believe because God is good all the time God is faithful all the time God cannot be unfaithful he cannot be unloving he is love he is faithful. He cannot change. He doesn't change who he is. But our circumstances go up and down. So the problem is every time you're on a high point, you can't be like, God is so kind. And when you're in the valley, you go, God is horrible. And I'm not talking what comes out of our mouth. I'm talking about the secret whispers of our heart. Because I want you to teach you this principle. Mankind got into trouble the very second Eve believed that God was not good. 
the enemy said, you know, you know why God doesn't want you to eat from the tree? Because he's, he's a little bit threatened by you. Because if you eat from the tree, you're going to know what he knows. And he didn't want that. The moment Eve believed that God was not good, that's where all the trouble began. You ascribe something to God that is not true about him, you're in a problem area. So the discipline of learning to ascribe to God what is due to his name is an important one. Because if, if you have the heart of a free person but the mind of a slave, you'll not live like an overcomer. See, God brought Israel out of Egypt, but for 10 generations they had been slaves. And he said, I'm going to take you into a promised land. And they were like, woo, this is great. And when he brought them out, he brought them out. They were millionaires because he plundered Egypt. He had them plunder Egypt. They took out the wealth of Egypt with them. Each of these former slaves. Yesterday they were a slave. Today they were a millionaire. They were actually free, but they had the mind of a slave and they could not walk into the life that God had promised them. Am I preaching to anyone yet? That's good. So I want to show you what God said to Abraham. Abraham said in Genesis 15, the Lord said to him, I will give you this land and you will take possession of it. And Abraham said to God, okay, that's great. Okay, okay, okay. How can I know for sure? It's quite cheeky. And God said to him, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll cut a covenant with you and I'll swear an oath. And Hebrew says so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of this hope may be greatly encouraged. God did two things which, in which he bound himself. God Almighty, the God of all glory, bound himself in a covenant to some inferior little Human being. Almost said a bad thing. <laughs> Bound himself. And the Bible says we who have fled to take hold of the same hope can be greatly encouraged because God will never break his oath and he never breaks his covenant. So I want you to know that God said to Abraham, I swear to you, Abraham, by myself, I swear, I will give you this land. Abraham said, great. And he told his kids. And Israel knew this. But I want to show you here. This is Exodus 3. This is what the Lord said to Moses. Go and assemble the elders and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I've watched over you and I've seen what's been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and the land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going quickly because we need to. There's a lot more. So he said, listen. Remember, God, when God sent Moses in to go and get his people, he said, hey, 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 Moses, go and tell them, unforget my promise. I swore an oath to your forefathers. I'm coming now. Now's the time. Now we're going to take you. Now that oath I swore, now we're going to go back. So God remembered this promise. This was a big deal to God. God doesn't swear oaths that often. So when he swears them, and God always keeps his word anyway. So when he swears an oath, he's, he's like really doubly focused on, I'm absolutely going to do that. And God remembered this oath all the time. Listen to this. Exodus 13, the land he swore to your ancestors. Exodus 32, the land I promised them. Numbers 14, the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home. Deuteronomy 8, 1, 8, the land he swore he would give you for. Deuteronomy 6, the land he swore. Deuteronomy 7, the land I swore to your ancestors. Deuteronomy 10, the land I swore. Deuteronomy 11, the land I swore. Deuteronomy 26. Do you want me to go on? It just goes on. Ooh. Catch me if you can. Okay, Deuteronomy 26, the land he swore. Deuteronomy 28, in the land I swore to give you ancestors. In the land I swore, Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 31, in the land he swore 
to give your ancestors. God was, do you understand? God, every time God turned around, he goes, hey, remember, I'm going to take you into the promised land. Remember the land I swore? God was, in, God was really focused on his promises. By the way, God is focused on his promises to you. Israel was not focused on the promises God gave, but God was focused on the promises he gave. He kept saying, no, 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 I swore. Hey, hey, guys, remember I swore with my uplifted arm. I swore I'm going to take you into this promised land. So what happens is there's, there's these plagues, and then they come out, and they hit the Red Sea, and they, and they woo, we're partying on. And then they get to the Red Sea, and there's a mountain, and there's a sea, and there's a desert, and then the Egyptians. And instead of them ascribing greatness to God, they go, whoa, because they were led by the visible presence of God to that place. It's not like they wandered there. God led them there. So instead of somebody ascribing greatness to God and going, oh, God has brought us here. I wonder what he's going to do. They go, I figured it out. It's because there were not enough space for graves in Egypt. That's what they said. Read you. Exodus 14. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out into this desert to die? They go, okay, figured it out. God just wanted to tease us. And he dangled this opportunity and he brought us out here because he wants to kill us here. And so, you know, the story, God opens up the water, they go through, the Egyptian army is destroyed, they go, Ooh, I will sing unto the Lord, he has triumphed gloriously. And you ask him, what do you think you're going to do? Oh, we're going to the promised land. And three days later, they get to Mara, and the waters are bitter. And they're thirsty, and they go, God wants to kill us here. Exodus 15. They grumbled against Moses. They go on three days to the desert of Sin, and they're hungry because they've run out of food. And you know what they say in there? Exodus 16. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat, and we ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They saw the sea open. Whoosh. They saw water. They, manna starts falling. They go, I think God means to kill us. And God is going, I swore I'm taking you in. Do you understand what it looks like when you don't ascribe greatness to God? Every time you hit a little bit of pressure, you go, this is the end. It all ends here. We're dying now. At Rephidim, second time, they had no water to drink. So they come down to Rephidim, they come over a mountain, they go down the hill. They see the waters, they, they, they're hoping for water, they go down, there's no water. They say, they quarreled with Moses. <clears throat> Why did you bring us out of Egypt, Exodus 17, to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Now we know what's happening. You brought us here. You didn't want to starve us to death because we were going to watch our children starve for hunger. But, but that wasn't your plan. No, no. Okay, you provided manna. But now we understand. You mean for us to watch our children die of thirst. That was your plan all along. So you know what the Lord does? He says, okay, I'll give you another chance. And he takes them a little wandering and he brings them back to Rephidim. They come over the same mountain. They go down the same thing, look for water. There's no water. 
Second time, same exact route. You'd think that somebody in Israel would go, hey, God is faithful and kind. He's so beautiful. He's so, he's good. Woo, last time, last time we were here, Moses hit a rock and it, what's God going to do this time? What did they say? Numbers 20. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And lest we all look at them and mutter in our voice, I'm hoping that some of us will see the connection here that sometimes the Lord's eye on his promises to you has not faltered. And the Lord's oath to you will not fail. And his eye is watching over you to perform everything he promised you. And what you and I need to learn to do is learn the discipline of ascribing greatness to God, and especially when the pressure comes. Because I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, sometimes I, I know I have the heart of a free man, but I have the mind of a slave. And I'm not walking into all the inheritance. See, this generation did not walk into the promised land, even though God swore with uplifted arm to give it to them. Hello? So I, I said, Lord, you're going to help me. And he said, I'm going to teach you a principle. I want you to learn to ascribe greatness to me. Because if you learn this principle of ascribing greatness to God, no matter what your circumstances, suddenly you enter a new world and you, your brain, your mind starts to be renewed like your heart because your heart was instantly renewed because Jesus gave you a new one, a beautiful new heart made to be like him in righteousness and holiness. But your brain can transform you because it can get renewed almost instantly. They come to Mount Hor. At Mount Hor, they had to take the wrong way around because God said, okay, listen, there's, the Amalekites are there and they're a warlike race. And if I take this bunch of ninnies past the Amalekites, the Amalekites are going to come out and they're going to attack them and they're just going to surrender. So I can't take them past this way. I'm going to take them the long way around. So he's taking them the long way around. Some of you, the Lord made a promise and he's taking the long way around. Just saying. Numbers 21. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this desert? The people became impatient on the way, and they spoke against God and against Moses, saying, There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food, which the Bible calls the bread of angels. You're catching a pattern. They come to Horeb. And they send spies into the promised land. They've been three months of grumbling on the road. And they get to Horeb. And the Lord said, that's the land I promised. Come, let's go in. They go, we're just going to send some spies in. He said, okay, yeah. So they send the spies in. Deuteronomy 1. This is Moses telling the story just before he dies. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and you complained in your tents, and you said, it's because the Lord hates us that he has brought us to the land, out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us. We figured it out. God did all those miracles in Egypt and all through the Red Sea and the manna and the quail and the water and the supernatural provision and all of this. And he brought us here because he was just toying with us because he wanted, actually his plan was to hand us over to the giants. 
Numbers 14. That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud, and all Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go? They, see, the mind of a slave always longs back for its captivity because at least the captivity was familiar. That's why when you, some people hear grace, they go, oh, yeah, the law was better. No, it wasn't. It's just more familiar to you. If you have the heart of a free person, you have the mind of a slave, you'll not live like an overcomer. And it'll keep you from God's promises. So their persistent unbelief tested God. Numbers 14. So this is what the Lord said. He said, okay, okay, okay. As surely as I live. You don't want to listen to that oath? Listen to this one. As surely as I live, as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs that I performed in Egypt and in this wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times. Not one of them will ever see the land that I promised on oath to their ancestors. Because according to your faith and your confession, it will be established in your life. Numbers 14. I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do the very things I heard you say. In this desert your bodies will fall. If you lived into 90% of what your mouth confesses, would you be living a good life? We had somebody ministering in our church, and she said, yeah, my husband and I live in about 90% of what, we, of what we confess. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have to learn to confess better. I don't want to live into 90% of all my confessions. Until I clean them up a little. When you hit a tough patch, because nobody on the earth is going to be exempt from them. Nobody in the faith is going to be exempt from them. The testing of your faith develops something in you that is necessary for you. And so don't, Peter says, don't be surprised as though this was something strange. This is normal. You and I are going to face some challenges. Our faith is going to be tested. But the beauty of this is that when I'm in the heat of the battle, in the intensity of the pressure, I have learned to ascribe greatness to God. Ooh, Lord, you are cooking up something good for me. So let's get back to David. The secret of the psalmist. This is what David did. This is how David, because David was trying to teach people, listen, you need to learn to ascribe greatness to God. Because the Israel ascribed meanness to God. They go, God wants to kill us. That's the, that's the plain obvious notion here. And some of you, when you get into a tough patch, you go, God hates me. That's, that's why I'm here. God doesn't hate you. And it's not because of the sin in your life. Because if you believed in Jesus, there is no sin in your life. Because you're in Christ, and he is the atoning sacrifice for your sins. So, so don't, let's not go down those roads because there's some poor thinking. The enemy would love when you're under pressure to suggest some things to you. Hey, let me suggest to you, this is an idea. It's because God hates you. It's because God is mean. 
actually. So we have to learn, no, 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 I'm not buying any of that. When I'm under pressure, I have to learn to ascribe. So I'm there, and I don't have any food, and my kids are screaming, Dad, I'm hungry. And I go, okay. What could be the best possible scenario in, given these circumstances that what God is doing? So David had a three-point plan. I'm going to give you the three-point secret of the psalmist. The first thing he did was to describe. So David's described, then he ascribed greatness, and then he prescribed. He told the Lord what he wanted. So describe. Let's go to describe. This is where you write down the facts that you're facing, your current circumstances. And I want to challenge you to go home and write a psalm or write seven. Because the point of the psalm is not that we're going to sing your psalm in, on church next week. is that you learn to train and renew your mind to the beauty of who your father is. That your mind starts to come into line with what the word of God declares about God, not your circumstances or your current pressure. Amen? So some of you, I, I'm telling you a truth, some of you need to write a psalm a day for the next month like this. Because the goal is not to publish the psalm, the goal is to renew your mind. So the magic of the sermon is not when we finished here, it's in about in a month's time if you have changed from a heart of a slave to the heart of a king. And the mind of a king. So, so this is the first piece. You want to write a psalm? Describe, write out the facts that you're facing and the current circumstances. Talk about yourself, your fears, your failures, your frustrations, your friends. Write it. Say, Lord, these people are fighting with me. And I didn't do anything wrong. And I'm scared. David did this all the time. I'm, I'm going to show you some. I'm going to show you some. Then talk about other people. Tell about their actions or their words or their plans, especially if they want to hurt you. Lord. They're saying wrong things about me. They're lying. This is not the truth. Sometimes, sometimes they even told the Lord. Psalm 22 was written by David. He goes, Lord, why are you forsaking me? Why must I go about all day mourning? He says, all my bones are out of place. My tongue is dry. He says, why? What's going on? Describe. Now, the problem with people is that people want to describe all the time. And that's their whole psalm. I'm not saying don't describe what's going on. I'm saying that's the first piece. But if you don't pivot to the second piece of the psalm, you're in trouble. You'll end up down in the dungeon in the dark place. So describe is the first piece. I'm happy with it. But you better pivot now. The second piece is ascribe greatness to God. And so you go, Lord, this is what's going on. But this is who I know you are. Many there be that rise up against me. Many there be that say of my soul, there is no hope for him in God. Pivot. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield for me. My glory. You're the one who lifts my head. My times are in your hand. You understand? You can talk about this all day long, but if you don't pivot, you're going to be dark and heavy. So pivot. Lord, but this is who I know you are. So ascribe. Give God the glory that's due to his name. Declare what the scriptures say about him. Try and exaggerate the goodness or the greatness of God. <laughs> Let me just I tell you a truth. Try. I dare you to try and exaggerate the goodness of God. Because the Bible says his greatness no one can fathom. The Bible says he has to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can even understand how long and wide and high and deep it is his love. Because if he doesn't help you, you just... Hello? 
So people go, oh, oh you're, you're exaggerating the goodness of God. I go, that's not possible for me or you. How do you think? His greatness, no one can fathom. How about this one? He is able to do immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine. That's what the scripture says. I didn't make that up. That's what the Bible says. So, so your greatest imagination, immeasurably more, that's what the Bible says. So try, I dare you, try and exaggerate his goodness or his kindness or his grace or your hyper grace. Not even close. Not even close. Amen? So talk about his nature. Declare who he is. Focus on his attributes. Talk about his works. You have got to remember what he's done. You'd think that Israel would, would something would whisper to them, he just brought water for three million people out of a stone. He just rained down manna. He just gave us, because we were hungry for something other than manna, so he rained down a flock of quail. The Bible says that was waist deep, three days walk in every direction. You'd think that at some stage they'd go, I think he's got this. And then the third piece is prescribe. Tell the Lord, Lord, this is what I'd like. Ask. This is the time to ask. So you, you, this is a mix of petitions and prayers and memories and previous encounters and in telling stories and history lessons and declarations and testimonies. Uh, your desires. I love that psalm, to the tune of do not destroy. Break his teeth in his mouth, O oh God. Like a slug that melts away, may he not see the sun. May his children be fatherless. You go, gee, David, slow down. I mean, this is, a, this is the Bible. Because, yeah, that's what I feel like, though. David's just prescribing. Your desires, talk about those who oppose you, talk about his fame. So let me just show you this in Psalm 31. I, I just want to show you this in a few Psalms, just so you get into the habit of it. And I feel like I've made the point. Number one, describe the circumstances. So Psalm 31, verse 9. I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish. My years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction. My bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors. I'm an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I'm forgotten as though I was dead. I have become like broken pottery. I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. That's not a happy season. That's where David is. Now he ascribes, listen to this pivot. Verse 14, but I trust in you, O Lord Almighty. I say, you are my God. My times, they're plotting to take my life. But my times are in your hands. This, verse 19, I love this. I, how abundant are the good things that you've stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of everybody on those who take refuge in you. 
in the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues, and you keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. I don't think the Lord told David he was doing this. I think David imagined the Lord was doing this, and the Lord said, I like that so much, we're putting it in the Word. David, you heard what he said. My life, I'm, nobody wants to know me. Everybody's hating. They're plotting to take my life. And he goes, I figured it out. I know what God's doing. He said, you can't fool me. I know who you are. You're the God who has, because I've been crying, help. And you've been storing up goodness for me. And he said, you're just waiting until everybody's watching me. And then you're going to dump that stored up goodness on me. He said, I figured it out. I know what's going on. Can't fool me. Oh, Greg, ah, I'm not so sure. I am sure. This is how it works. You cannot dream even close to how good and kind and loving our Father is. You cannot get there. But if you start to ascribe and use your imagination to dream the best possible dream, you won't, be, you won't be on the mark, but you'll be at least on the right playing field. Prescribe, Psalm 31. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let your face shine on your servant. Let me be not be put to shame. Let the wicked be put to shame and be silent in the realm of the dead. Let their lying lips be silenced. Do you understand? You need to write a psalm. and You need to write a psalm as often as it takes to get your mind in gear to, to learn to ascribe greatness to God no matter what your circumstances. That's who I know you to be. That's who my God is. Because unbelievers and people who don't know should stand around you and go, I don't think he gets it. I don't think he gets the pressure he's under. And I get it. You don't get the greatness of my God. He's about to break in. But everybody, your bones are in anguish. Your, your life, you, you end your years in groaning. Nobody wants to know you. You're the utter contempt of all your neighbors. Your friends don't want to speak to you, and they are plotting to take your life. Yeah, but let me tell you what's going on. In heaven, God is storing up goodness for me. Can't fool me. I know what's going on. God is storing up goodness for me, and he's waiting till everybody's looking at me. He's going to dump it all on me. That's what's going on. Let's go to Psalm 3. Psalm 3. Describe. Lord, how many are my foes? Many rise up against me. Many are saying, God will not deliver him. Let's talk about a scribe. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory. You're the one who lifts my head. I call out to the Lord. He answers from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep and I wake again because the Lord sustains me. That's who he is. He's my sustainer. He's the one who lifts up my head. He's the one who shields me. I've got many enemies. I'm surrounded by people who want to kill me. But you know what? My God, let me tell you about my God. He is the lifter of my head. He's the shield around me. He's the one I take refuge in. He never fails. He never slumbers or sleeps. He never lost anybody. No one can pluck me out of his hand. I am held fast in the glory of God. The smile of God is on my life. The favor of God surrounds me. Goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. Do you understand? If you learn to ascribe greatness to God, you know what happens? It's like the billows of heaven get hooked up and you hear this faith come into your spirit. Whoosh, and suddenly you go, come here, let me slap something. <laughs> Amen? 
You want to hook up to the billows of heaven just to inject faith and confidence. And you start ascribing greatness to God. You'll feel it. Life, confidence, faith. Yeah, there's a lot of people around me. But you know, God and I are on this side. And, and, and he's about to break out. Everything could change in a moment. God is going to be faithful. He never, no one who ever put his faith in him was ever put to shame. I'm not even imagining. I'm just quoting scripture. Do you understand? Learn to ascribe greatness. Psalm 3, prescribe. Arise, Lord. Deliver me. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. You understand? Let's go to Psalm 86. One more. Describe. These are the circumstances. Verse 14. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. Ascribe. Psalm 86. But you, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call for you. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. I'm surrounded by people who want to kill me. But you know what? You're so good, Lord. You're faithful. You abound in love to me. If you just want to describe, you'll end up in a dark place. But if you learn to pivot and ascribe greatness, you'll find the billows of heaven will support your life. And you'll be full of joy and peace. And the unbelievers around you are going to go, I don't understand why he's so full of hope. And that's what the Bible says. Prescribe. Hear me, Lord. Answer me. Guard my life. Save your servant. Have mercy on me. Bring joy to me. Teach me your way. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear you. Do you understand? So let me close with this. Up until now, not much happening. When you go home and you write your first psalm, right there is the magic of this message. Right there. In your closet. In your kitchen. In your armchair, in the, wherever you sit when you have time with the Lord. Right there, magic is going to happen. Because you have the potential to take what God is doing in your spirit and train your mind to get in line with what God has done. If you will learn spiritual discipline of ascribing greatness and not ascribing meanness or unfaithfulness to God. If you will learn to ascribe greatness, especially in the tough days, I think what's going to happen is you're going to see the miracles of God as he demonstrates. My question is, what did God want to show them when he brought them to the Red Sea? What was in God's heart? God wanted to demonstrate to his people the greatest army in the known world, I'll snap my fingers, I can do away with them. He wanted that in his people's memory banks. That's why he let them come there. He wasn't trying to frighten his people. He was trying to bolster them. The people that you fear the most, they were the masters for generations of your nation. I'm going to destroy them with a the flick of my finger. Watch this, watch this. That's what he intended. What, what was he doing when they ran out of water on the way? You think he was trying to be horrible to them? No. He wanted to demonstrate. Watch this. Moses, just speak to the rock. Just tell it. When they ran out of food, do you think he was trying to be mean? No, he was trying to go, watch this, watch this, guys. I can make it rain bread. You get into a situation, you know what the Lord's going, oh, maybe they're just going to look at me. 
maybe it's just going to call to me. And I'm going to show them something. I want to reveal myself to my kids. Oh, oh, oh. This is too hard for God. He brought me here because he wants to kill me here. This is the end of me. And he's going, I swore. Don't you remember my promises? Don't you remember all the miracles? I, I brought you here be, not to kill you, but to bless you. The magic of this message is what you do with it now. Ah, dare you. Go home and write yourself some psalms. Describe, ascribe, prescribe. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for your kindness. Lord, I pray for a supernatural explosion of faith and the alignment of what people see and believe and what is in their hearts. Give us, Lord, not just the mind, not just the heart of free people, but the mind of free people as well. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.